Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, January 14th, day 100 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military correspondent, Emmanuel Fabian. Hi, Manny. Hi, good morning, Amanda. In addition to updates from the Gaza Strip and the fighting in the north, we are going to have a discussion aimed at giving an overview of the war, past, present, and potential future. So all of this and much more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Families of hostages are conducting awareness-raising events throughout the globe. A 24-hour rally is ongoing in Tel Aviv, and other protests are expected throughout the day, including a 100-minute commercial shutdown that was launched at 11 a.m. and various events on university campuses. Regardless of what is decided at The Hague, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pledged on Saturday evening that Israel will continue its war against Hamas, quote, to the end until completely. Complete victory. Manny, when we recorded our first wartime podcast episode on October 7th itself, the details of the attack were still unclear. I listened to a bit of that first episode today, and we knew that definitely there were more than dozens, possibly even hundreds of Hamas terrorists that breached the border. In the end, we're talking about thousands, of course. Then we reported that around 100 people had been killed, including soldiers, and close to 1,000 wounded. We, of course, know the number is exponentially higher. And then we thought that potentially dozens were taken hostage. Obviously, we didn't know the scope of the horror. And indeed, more atrocities are being brought to light every single day as we proceed with the offensive in Gaza. So let's return to the past a little bit. And what were the IDF's initial steps after October 7th? Initially, there was, uh, like you mentioned, even with the numbers uh, that we didn't know, there was a lot of confusion with within the army itself um, to uh, how to respond um, to Hamas's surprise attack that, that occurred on the morning of October seventh. And um, if I recall, we saw uh, within a f- within a few hours, we saw airstrikes already being carried out in Gaza, and this was occurring while ground forces were attempting to regain control of all the. Uh, border communities of the military positions and bases that had been uh, essentially captured by Hamas uh, that morning. And that took a few days. I mean, um, 
to capture the Re'im base, the army's uh, Gaza division headquarters. Uh, that took until uh, the end of the day before uh, Israeli forces had recaptured it. And this is a very significant position, uh, which allows the army to actually coordinate its operations in the Gaza area. And um, we know that battles continued in towns in Beri and Kfar Aza, uh, on the Zikim beach uh, for a number of days as Israeli uh, forces cleared out the last uh, Hamas terrorists that had infiltrated into Israel. Um, we remember there was hostage situations even uh, further further uh, away from Gaza in, in Ofakim. Um, and at the same time, we saw uh, a large number of airstrikes being carried out, um, mostly on Hamas uh, command and control positions. So their, um, their command centers, uh, their main bases, um, there was uh, a number of strikes on staging grounds as well, so where Hamas terrorists were gathering in order to carry out further attacks. Uh, in the first few days, there were still some terrorists attempting to infiltrate into Israel um, during all, all of the chaos. Uh, and that's what uh, essentially happened in the first few days. And then uh, for the next few weeks, I think it was about three weeks, um, Israel was preparing for the inevitable ground offensive. Uh, it was talked about a lot. And uh, it did eventually come, and there was um, a, quite a lot of discussion at the time of uh, why Israel had not entered yet, why there had not been a ground offensive. Uh, but it was during that time that Israel was actually preparing uh, to carry out this the ongoing ground offensive in Gaza, because at the time it, it did not have such a plan to enter Gaza and completely destroy Hamas, which is essentially the goal now, which is to remove it, um, remove it from power, to uh, dismantle its military capabilities, its governing capabilities. Israel didn't have that sort of plan. Uh, so that's what occurred in those three weeks. There were heavy airstrikes being carried out all across Gaza. And then we saw the warnings to Palestinians to start evacuating from northern Gaza, uh, where the uh, IDF uh, eventually began its uh, ground offensive. Okay. And since the ground offensive began, most of the concentration was in northern Gaza. In the past several weeks, the IDF has also shifted its attention to central and south Gaza. So let's talk a bit about the present and the lessons learned from the past that are being implemented today. You talked about the large-scale airstrikes. Are we seeing that kind of large-scale taking down of entire buildings in central and south Gaza today? Slightly less so uh, than in the beginning of the war. What happens is before Israeli forces move in or maneuver into a new territory where Hamas is present, uh, then strikes are carried out in those areas. They are still large strikes, but we're not seeing um, hundreds of strikes per day as we saw in the beginning of the war, where we were seeing 400 to 500 airstrikes per day. Now it's somewhere around 100 or 150 or so. Uh, specifically in the areas where forces are going to maneuver into. We know that in northern Gaza, Israel has uh, essentially con has control of all of northern Gaza and Gaza City. Um, that is um, 12 of the 24 Hamas uh, battalions there. So they are all uh, in a state where they are unable to carry out organized attacks. But there are still um, likely hundreds of Hamas operatives still in the northern Gaza area who are uh, in hiding, there are still uh, caches of rockets, there are still uh, tunnel systems that need to be discovered there. So operations are still ongoing in northern Gaza. Uh, in the center, 
um, and in the south, we know that uh, the IDF began in the south first, uh, launching an offensive against the Khan Yunus area we saw, uh, and we're still seeing large airstrikes in those areas as Israeli forces move in deeper into Khan Yunus uh, and locate Hamas's um, uh, infrastructure. So a similar process as we saw in the north. And then in the last couple of weeks, um, the IDF has also moved into central Gaza, beginning with the Berej um, area and now into Marazi, which is um, just next to it. Um, and a very similar process is being carried out there where uh, heavy airstrikes are carried out. Israeli forces move in, locate Hamas infrastructure, battle any remaining um, Hamas operatives that are left uh, and then moving on. And then eventually we will see that like how the North is in a state where forces can carry out smaller operations to locate the last uh, Hamas infrastructure. That will soon be the case as well with central Gaza and the Khan Yunus area. The United States obviously has been pressuring Israel to reduce the number of civilian casualties. And just on the very surface of what the IDF statements are reading, it sounds to me like already this messaging has been taken effect because whereas opposed to in the past, the IDF would talk about large scale operations, what we're seeing right now, it feels like are just a few members are targeted and they were neutralized. This kind of messaging is coming out a lot more. Do you feel like this is conveying the truth of the scope of the operations? We are seeing a shift definitely in the operations. And I think that comes after um, all of Northern Gaza is under Israeli control and there the army can carry out these smaller operations, which um, generally result in less uh, damage to surroundings or to civilians. But it's also important to note that there are basically no civilians left in northern Gaza. Um, most of the population is, is sheltering in the south. Um, and that also enables the army to carry out its operations with less of a risk of, uh, of civilian casualties the sort of intensive fighting is still ongoing in central and southern Gaza, but I think that will also shift to the to the um, a lower intensity uh, at some point soon. But there is a big dilemma uh, regarding the Rafah area on the Egyptian-Gaza uh, border. Israel has vowed that it will um, carry out an operation there. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal that Israel even notified the Egyptians of its intention to operate there. Um, but as, as far as I understand, it will be very difficult for Israel to to maneuver there, to carry out operations to strike Hamas there when uh, we're talking about 1.3 million uh, Palestinians just in that area. Uh, so there will have to be some sort of compromise, some sort of um, change in the way the army is carrying out its operations, either to allow um, the, the large number of Palestinians who are currently there to move back to northern Gaza or move to another area where the army is not operating, uh, or the army will have to operate in a, an entirely different uh, way in order to defeat Hamas in the Rafah area without harming or causing significant harm uh, to the civilians um, that are in that area. So that is a big dilemma now. And as of now, the army has not maneuvered into the Rafah area, but um, it will eventually happen if Israel wants to uh, achieve its its goals of the war. And in order to kind of assess how much of the goal is being achieved, we've spoken about the battalions, the Hamas battalions, and you mentioned already that in the north they're essentially being uh, dismantled. So what are the numbers in central and south Gaza right now? 
So in the north, there's um, in Gaza City and in northern Gaza, there's a total of 12 Hamas battalions. They are all uh, dismantled, according to the army. Uh, in central Gaza, there are four. Two of them are very close to being dismantled. The ones I mentioned, Berej and uh, Marazi. Um, and then in Khanunis, there's another four. Um, two of them as well. I believe it's the north and the eastern one are both um, very close to being completely dismantled. And then there's another four in Rafa, which are essentially untouched and are uh, completely functioning. So when the army does eventually go there, um, they will face quite a significant resistance, not only because of these uh, battalions have not been touched at all, but also uh, they've had time to prepare. Uh, and we know that many Hamas fighters from northern Gaza fled to the south. They may be further bolstering the Hamas uh, forces there as well. So there's something that the army needs to take into account when it does operate there, uh, that the resistance that will be shown by Hamas will be quite uh, significant. Uh, in central Gaza, um, uh, the army is still operating there against the first two um, Hamas battalions that are closest to the border and then will later reach the ones that are behind them, uh, the two battalions that are uh, yeah, sort of um, on the coast of Gaza uh, there. And then in Khan Yunus, it's... Um, the two battalions that are sort of on the um, eastern side, the northern and eastern side of Khan Yunus, and then there's the southern and western side, which will be reached uh, later. Okay, we're going to take a short break and then cast our gaze on other parts of the conflict. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines, Massacre in Gaza, genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. Now, of course, all eyes are on the north and what has been happening there over the past several days. Uh, in the north, we're still seeing Hezbollah carry out daily uh, rocket and missile attacks. Uh, and the army as well is responding uh, with uh, strikes on um, Hezbollah positions. Um, I'd like to note what uh, Halevi, uh, the IDF chief of staff, uh, said last night. And he said that um, Israel's action in, in Lebanon is already pushing back um, Hezbollah's uh, elite Radwan forces. Um, so um, they have basically had positions all over the uh, Lebanese border to potentially carry out attacks against Israel. Um, and he said, uh, I'll quote, the security reality in the north is already taking shape these days. 
We are keeping the Radwan terrorists away from the border and damaging Hezbollah's capabilities that it has built up over the years. We operate freely in Lebanon's airspace and strike any threat that we detect. Um, so I think this is a big shift in what we saw until uh, in recent years that Israel rarely, if ever, conducted air operations in Lebanon. Uh, we're seeing now that Israel has essentially um, um, freedom to act in Lebanon. It's been carrying out strikes in, in the south, but also some strikes deeper inside Lebanon against Hezbollah assets. Uh, and it is uh, working to push Hezbollah back from the border, which will enable Israelis, uh, around 80,000 Israelis who have been displaced from the north to return to their homes. Um, in just in one incident uh, that occurred uh, very early this morning, uh, we don't know yet if this was uh, Hezbollah or another terror group, um, but four uh, gunmen infiltrated into Israeli territory in the Mount Dov area. Um, and uh, shot at Israeli forces who were on a patrol. Uh, the soldiers um, responded, killed all four uh, four gunmen. Um, uh, there was uh, artillery strikes as well carried out amid the incident. It was a very foggy morning, very difficult to see them, and that's uh, believed to be the, the way that they infiltrated into the country because of the heavy fog. Um, and five soldiers were lightly and uh, light to moderately wounded uh, in this uh, one incident. We still don't know if it was Hezbollah. Uh, if I had to guess, uh, it would be one of the smaller uh, uh, Palestinian terror groups, such as Hamas or the Islamic Jihad, as uh, they're the ones who have previously attempted to carry out infiltration uh, attacks into Israel uh, during the uh, war in Gaza. It is distressing to hear that these uh, pedestrians essentially were able to infiltrate into the northern border, which of course has echoes of what happened on October 7th. And so the question remains, in which ways does Israel's superior technology give us an advantage? Do we have, for example, the supremacy of the skies against Hezbollah and Hamas? I think against Hamas, definitely Israel has uh, air superiority. There is no... Um, very little capabilities that Hamas has to counter Israeli aircraft. There have been attempts with very um, old uh, shoulder-launched missiles at Israeli aircraft, all unsuccessful. Uh, there's no fear there of Israeli um, aircraft operating in Lebanon. Uh, it's a little bit different. There, There is some capability that Hezbollah has, mostly because it has much um, easier access to Iran uh, through its smuggling route through uh, Syria. And Iraq, so it does have some capability, and we know that um, recent strikes against Hezbollah have targeted uh, specifically, and the IDF has mentioned this uh, specifically, their uh, air defense unit. So um, the sites from which their air defense unit operates, their um, depots where they store all their missiles, um, those have been targeted recently, and that has enabled further Israel to operate in Lebanon skies. Um, without uh, without an issue. But um, there is still, um, uh, when it comes to the border itself, being able to defend that, um, we know that there's a lot of forces on the Israeli border now, but um, for a repeat of October 7th, that is what the army is trying to prevent now. So to prevent um, Hezbollah from carrying out something similar, it, it would seem unlikely that Hezbollah would try something like that. There, are, there have been infiltration attempts, but usually with a squad of four to five uh, gunmen, not what we saw on October 7th with thousands. Um, and if that 
were to be carried out, the army is saying it is is now ready for such a such an attempt with its large amount of forces on the border. Merit, we've talked about past, present, future, and I just want to return to what you said about Rafa. And as you mentioned, the Wall Street Journal reported on Saturday that Israel has informed Egypt of plans to launch a military operation to take control of the border between the Gaza Strip and Egypt. This sounds all the more tricky because, of course, there's another actor in this equation, which is Egypt. And so my question to you is, I don't know if you have the answer, in fact, is there any kind of cooperation between the IDF and the Egyptian forces at this point? There has to be some uh, sort of cooperation, and especially if there's going to be an operation on the Egyptian border. There is, I mean, there's, there was, there's the ongoing cooperation that we saw during the hostage releases. So when the hostages were released to Egypt and then to Israel. So there's definitely talks ongoing. And same with the humanitarian aid being checked in Israel and then being sent to Rafah and entering through there. Militarily, with sort of operations being carried out, there must be some talk between the sides uh, to coordinate this. And uh, I mean, I don't think Israel is going to ask Egypt if it can or cannot carry it out. Uh, it is informing it and letting it know where it's going to be operating so that there won't be any misunderstandings um, when Israel does operate on the Egyptian border. And it'll be um, quite complicated for yeah, for several reasons. First, because of Egypt being this extra player in this, uh, in this um, operation that may be carried out, as well as all the Palestinian civilians. We've got to remember that if Israel does launch some sort of operation now, many Palestinians will try to flee potentially flee toward Egypt. And that is something that uh, Israel needs to take into account and coordinate with the Egyptians if Palestinians can flee into Egypt or not. I don't think Egypt wants anyone fleeing in, into its territory, uh, but it is something that will have to be worked out. We are marking 100 days of war and all indications are that we will probably mark 200 together as well. What do you know about the timeline of the war? What's being said, of course, by Herzia Levy and others? The timeline, I mean, we've we've heard from Halevi and from other military officials saying that um, fighting will continue in Gaza throughout 2024. It might not be the high-intensity war throughout that entire time, but this operation will not wrap up uh, within the next year, it will continue for another year. So we will be, we will commemorate also 300 and 400 days probably, and uh, not just 200. There are a lot of questions as to um, what will happen with the hostages. Will they be released? Will there be some sort of agreement? Will there be temporary ceasefires? There may be something like that along the way. Uh, we saw a weak ceasefire in November. There may be further ceasefires uh, down the road. Uh, depending on what uh, what Hamas is uh, is up to and what it wants to do, but the fighting will continue until the um, until Israel's goals are achieved. That is what Israel has uh, has vowed. So, to defeat Hamas will probably take over the next year. Manny, thank you so much for your tireless reporting in these past hundred days, and I wish you much strength for the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>